everyone, Matt here, and welcome back to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 103, entitled Tabula Rasa, and I'm going to start out now with a summary of the episode from Wikipedia. In the flashbacks, Kate is in Australia and awakened by a farmer, Ray Mullen, who wants to know why she's sleeping in his barn. Using the alias Annie, Kate is offered a job on the farm. When she leaves the farm, she accepts a ride from Ray to the train station, but learns that he is planning to turn her in to authorities to claim reward money. When she sees U.S. Marshal Edward Mars driving behind them, she jerks the wheel and causes the vehicle to crash off the road. She loses her chance to escape, however, when she pulls Ray from the burning vehicle. On the island, the signal party, made up of Kate, Saeed, Charlie, Sawyer, Boone, and Shannon, return uh, from down the mountain but decide not to tell the others about the French transmission, fearing that the message will cause panic and deprive the survivors of their hopes. When a fight breaks out over who should keep the gun, the others agree to give it to Kate. Upon arriving at the beach, Kate secretly tells Jack about the French transmission. The group of survivors continues to tend to Marshall Mars. In the process, Jack and Hurley learn about Kate's past as a convict and fugitive. The Marshall moans in pain which has an effect on the other survivors who believe that Jack is unable to save him. He tells Jack he wants to speak to Kate alone to find out the favor she tried to request on the plane before it broke apart. While Kate is in the tent, Hurley reveals to Jack that he had seen her with a gun earlier. Jack sees Kate leave the tent, followed by a gunshot from inside. Sawyer then walks out of the tent. He explains that he shot the marshal in the chest, aiming for his heart as an act of kindness. However, it is revealed that he missed piercing the marshal's lung instead, leaving him in even more pain. Jack says that it will take hours for the wound to bleed out and throws an extremely shaken Sawyer out of the tent. After the sound of, after, yeah, after the sound of struggle from within the tent, Jack emerges looking distant and upset. He walks by Sawyer without saying a word, and it is implied that Jack was forced to suffocate the marshal in order to end his suffering. Elsewhere, Michael and Walt have a conversation with John Locke. Walt tells Michael... That Locke believes a miracle happened on the island, Michael instructs his son to stay away from Locke. Michael searches for Walt's dog, Vincent. However, loud roaring causes Michael to panic and he flees, stumbling across a topless son washing herself. Both embarrassed, Michael shields his eyes and mutters an awkward apology. Locke eventually finds Vincent using a dog whistle that he made. However, he leaves it to Michael to return Vincent to Walt, saying he thinks it's Walt's father who should be the one to find the dog. As the episode wraps up, Kate offers to tell Jack what her crime was. However, he declines, grimly stating that their past lives aren't important and that they all died when their plane crashed. The episode ends with shots of the main cast, seemingly more hopeful and optimistic, ending with the mysterious Locke, staring darkly at Walt and Michael as Wash Away by Joe Purdy plays. And with that uh, summary behind us, let's move on to the thoughts and notes that I had while rewatching the episode. Uh, this episode sets off in many ways... 
uh, the idea that drives the first half of the season. Who are these people? We're finally going to be exploring uh, these people more. Um, the episode starts with a little bit of exposition, which seems to be uh, kind of a habit to catch to catch people up. Um, Saeed's little campfire show reminds everyone that the plane has crashed off course and the rescue is unlikely. I'm not sure that this is exactly necessary, um, but I suppose it's paying the bills. Um, you know, certainly there are some people who may have uh, heard the buzz of the show before the this third episode. Now we're you know need a little quick catch me up. Um, that said, watching these first three episodes in rather quick succession makes it pretty obvious to me that the show is making a strong effort to remind the audience how uh, you know how the cast has gotten on the island, what the initial mysteries are. There's something in the jungle. There's something mysterious about the French woman's distress signal. How it repeats. Etc. So they're definitely making an effort to, to catch people up. Continuing on too with uh, kind of this uh, theme that I'm developing in these early episodes, that the Jack Hurley struggle for being in charge of the island in season six is actually something that's explored throughout the series. It's worth noting that Jack finds out that, uh, pardon me, that after Jack finds out that Kate is a fugitive, Hurley is the second one to find out, albeit by accident, but. Nonetheless, Hurley is the second one to find out. Hurley cares, and greatly, with, uh, concerning the knowledge that Kate is a fugitive. Personally, I'd venture to guess that Hurley is concerned about the group as a whole. For all of Jack's live-together, die-alone business uh, in future episodes, Jack believes in everyone's ability to be self-driven, to do the right thing as they should be. Whereas Hurley almost has this hint of having the instinct to manage people as they are. You know, Jack shoots for the lofty best in each person and Hurley sees the the simple reality in each person. Um, moving on, it's nice to see that in the Kate flashback she says that she's Canadian. Uh, certainly is rather fitting uh, considering that when her flashback so starts she says sorry in this very very clear Canadian uh, accent. So I suppose they were just going with what you got. Um, it's curious, too, by the way, to see that the, the, the farmer in her flashback has that fake right arm. Uh, obviously, in later episodes, season two and forward, Dr. Chang of the, uh, the Dharma orientation films, you know, periodically is seen with a fake hand or a lame hand. Um, I, I, you know, it's kind of uh, at the post-accident uh, post uh, phase, as I recall, um, where you're seeing that, but... I don't know. I, I guess the show has a thing for, for fake limbs. I mean, certainly it's no, you know, there's no huge connection to uh, to Farmer Ray having a fake arm. I, I actually don't even know what purpose it serves um, at all in the episode. I mean, I know that later on when she pulls him out of the car, or out of his truck, rather, um, you know, she's pulling him by both arms and the one arm comes off. To me, it's just kind of a weird, uh, a weird a little moment, a weird detail. I'm not quite sure why it's there other than just for, for an extra bit of color, but oh well, whatever. Um, speaking of kind of wobbly things in this episode, and obviously overall it's a, it's a very good episode. It's, um, you know, it, it, it's a good flashback. Uh, the on-island stuff is quite interesting, but still, I mean, it is, it is episode three. This is the first episode of the series, quote-unquote. Yes, it's you know, episode 103, but, you know, the first two were the self-contained pilot to get things going. This is the first time that they're doing, you know, 
episode after episode, the normal production of the show. Um, and, you know, so in addition to this kind of wobbly business of, you know, the fake arm that doesn't have much of a purpose, they're still kind of um, fine-tuning the flashback whoosh. It's used when Kate's flashback continues, but it's also aided by a slow-motion shot of Island Kate leaning over the marshal uh, to kind of say, you know, oh, we're going to go into her mind. You know, she's thinking here. Um, and then as the, flash, the, the flashback concludes with the whoosh and it returns to the slow-motion shot, it's, you know, it's, they're, they're very clearly saying, you know, we are going into a flashback. Then they do the flashback. Then they say, we are coming back from it to where we left her. Look, I mean, obviously, after 120 episodes under all our belts, you know, this, this kind of business isn't necessary. Do the whoosh, we get it, it's a flashback. That said, it does remind me that there really was a time where the show needed to educate we, the audience, about how the flashback technique works. That this is going to be, you know, a weekly thing where there are flashbacks, at least, you know, through the first three seasons. Um... In the next, I mean, and but even then, as they're setting up these rules, they don't always follow them. In the next flashback, which is of the marshal catching up with Kate and Ray, it concludes without a whoosh. So, you know, whatever the show's rules are at this point, they clearly don't um, fully understand them. Um, and speaking of the marshal and some of the some of the scenes that he is in, um, when he suddenly wakes up, there's just a fantastic example of. Uh, the, the Michael Giacchino music, and uh, I'm going to play a quick clip right now. Obviously, just, you know, I mean, everyone knows how wonderful the music is on Lost, and there's just another fine, fine example. It's just, you know, uh, starts with the scare, and then just becomes more and more tense, uh, you know, as those strings go higher and higher, just, you know, absolutely fantastic uh, stuff. Um, and moving on now again to another clip. Um, here is a rather snooty Jack uh, starting to accuse Kate. No, it won't be quick. Two, three, maybe four days. And he'll feel it. Yeah, he'll feel it. Can't you put him out of his misery? I saw your mugshot, Kate. I am not a murderer. You know, it's funny. Maybe I'm just an idiot. Uh, and I mean, I've seen this episode tons and tons and tons of times uh, in the past, well, you know, since it aired, in the past six years uh, since it aired. I never exactly got the impression that Jack had uh, had strangled uh, the marshal to death. You know that, in effect, despite what he says there in the clip, that he does become a, murder, uh, a murderer, uh, or at the very least, you know, in the name of uh, uh, medicine, the name of uh, of uh, you know putting him out of his misery, it becomes a murderer. Um, at any rate, what I find interesting, I find two other interesting things about that clip. One is it certainly gives us. Uh, a lot of insight into some of the basic nature of Kate. On the one hand, you know, I get the impression that she is genuinely concerned uh, about the marshal's uh, health and, well, you know, his well-being, his his the level of comfort. Um, you know, we see that too, also in the flashbacks with Ray, where you know she pulls him out of the uh, out of the truck. Clearly, the show is trying to paint her as 
not as a villain, to paint her as this troubled person, uh, you know, borderline unlucky, uh, not unlucky in kind of the, the, the Hurley sense, uh, as we'll see in, in future episodes, but, you know, just kind of somebody who's come across bad luck um, as she's running from this, you know, as of yet unknown crime, which, you know, as we know, is the, uh, the murder of her stepfather. Um, but, so, you know, on the one hand, it's kind of this, she can't catch a break in these awful uh, situations. Added to that, there's kind of this, you know, codependency issue or dependency issue, whatever the proper term would be. She is trying to find somebody to solve her problem. And, uh, you know, as opposed to just taking taking control of it herself, one way or the other. Certainly, she could have shot the marshal to end his suffering, but she but she didn't. She passed it off on to Sawyer. Um, perhaps, you know, in, in previous episodes and in a little bit in this one, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, what I think was thought about, you know, a, a, a considered uh, Sun Jin uh, Michael kind of love triangle um, with Sun in the middle. I, I think that they're... they're you know, with this business of who's going to shoot the marshal, who's going to tend to the marshal, who's going to put the marshal out of his misery, you know, that might be the early uh, the early steps of the uh, the Sawyer Kate Jack uh, love triangle of sorts that that goes on. Um, but I don't know. I feel I feel that this episode leaves me not really loving the character of Kate. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the character of. Jack, kind of from the series as a whole, and I'm, I'm sure some of that is leaking into my analysis of these episodes. You know, it certainly is nothing against uh, any of the actors, um, but yeah. At any rate, the you know to me, Kate just kind of comes off as somebody who can't face the music. You know, if you've done this crime and they're they're looking for you and people keep getting hurt because you're on the run from the crime, step up, do the right thing. Fine. Now the the marshal is uh, mortally wounded, and people are starting to figure out. You know, as as you heard in the the, the clip to open the show, um, we're not in civilization anymore. We're in the wild. Well, who's going to step up to realize that you can't get the marshal to a hospital? You can't tend to his wounds properly. So somebody needs to do the right thing according to the rules of the wild, which is to put him out of his misery. Um, you know, and Kate is the one who who is least. Uh, least wanting to do that. Um, as a side production note, kind of involving Kate um, and kind of moving a little bit back in the episode, um, the scene in which Kate returns and tells Jack that she has to talk to him uh, about the the uh, the, uh, the French woman, you know, Rousseau's uh, signal, um, it just must have been one of those days where uh, however, they've decided to do the to, to, to do the the shots that day. It favors one actor instead of the other. Jack is lit by the sun, just this kind of perfect glow of the natural sunshine in perfect focus. You know, just a picture perfect shot. Kate, on the other hand, is out of focus for the entire shot and not as well lit. Oh well, I I don't know what to say other than. You know, I believe there's a job called focus puller, and that that's the person whose job it is to sit and make sure that that everyone's in focus. And Kate is noticeably out of focus to the point that I almost feel like they edited the scene to favor Jack and just give Kate some, uh, you know, a couple shots when necessary. But um, you know, 
such as it is, I suppose, such as the way of the TV business. Um, moving on, let me uh, share with you now a rather ironic clip about our dear friend Michael. As soon as it stops raining. Good. Nice. I'm going to find your dog. Yeah, go walking through the haunted damn jungle looking for your... Vincent? So right, I did the, the obvious irony to me, and I'm sure to you in this uh, in this clip is here he is complaining about being caught on the haunted island. What's his future? His future is, you know, escaping the island, coming back to the island on the freighter, dying, you know, uh, on the shore off the island, and then being caught on the island as a as a ghost for, you know, for for whatever the future might be. Um, you know, given he was unable to move on uh, because of his uh, his sins that we see in season two, that just tremendously shocking episode in season two where he shoots uh, Libby and Anna Lucia. So <laughs> I have no idea how much of this uh, the producers had in mind. I doubt very, very much that the notion of Michael, you know, turning bad, killing two people, uh, escaping... Finally, the island finally coming back, being trapped there, and showing up in the final episodes of uh, final, you know, five or six episodes of season six to be a spirit. I doubt that was part of the plan. Um, I, in fact, I, I believe uh, initially, when for the for season three that that uh, he wasn't in at all, there was some question. You know, would the actor be available to even come back to to be the mysterious Kevin Johnson in season four? So. You know, uh, I doubt much of this was planned, but, you know, part of what I'm trying to do in this podcast is see how things fit together. It might, uh, you know, in the in the season, the, the series as a whole, whether this was planned or not, at the end of the day, here's this clip about him complaining about not wanting to be trapped in the haunted island, trapped in the haunted jungle, and indeed that is his fate, so... You know, credit where credit is due to the show. Um, it it happened. There he is. There he is, caught uh, for time and memoriam. We can imagine. Um, continuing the show's uh, uh, wanting to have uh, brief moments of salaciousness without belying what I believe was a, a first season eight o'clock time slot. Um, the the rustling that uh, that Michael hears, which I don't believe is revealed in the episode, but uh, I can only assume, uh, uh, you know, it's later on we would know that it's the uh, the boars. Um, Michael runs out of the forest, runs across a a topless sun, um, and I think that that's more of of you know what I've talked about before this abandoned thread of a sun Michael Jin love triangle. Certainly, it's ex it's explored. Uh, a bit more, not as a full love triangle, but friction between Jin and Michael over Sun to some degree. Um, you know, that's that for for parts of part of season a certain part of season one. That's um, that's something that is uh, driving those characters a bit. But uh, you know, in terms of a full full blown love triangle, it doesn't ever quite get there. Oh well, I suppose that's for the best. Um, whatever we can do to get to the hatches as soon as possible is uh, is fine with me. 
Uh, speaking of gin, though, there's more from gin that, uh, pardon me, there's more from the gin the jerk department. Um, son finds a bag, son is looking for his bag, apparently, and she finds a bag that is not his, and he says, uh, you know, essentially, nope, that's not it. P.S., you know, go clean up, you're so filthy, this is go clean up, and when she's cleaning up, Michael uh, comes across her. Uh, so, you know, nope, bad job, go clean up, and then kind of stops and says, I love you. So... Again, as I said in the previous episode, it, it amazes me to think that the Sun and Jin storyline would evolve to such a degree where you know you see them falling in love again or falling in love in a, in such a strong way um, in in later seasons, uh, and then you know dying in each other's arms so that they might be together to to start from where they're at here, where you just want him dead to just this tremendously tender ending of their time together in this life. It, it's, it's, it's one of the more astonishing long-term story arcs um, that, 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 that the show does. It's just, just absolutely remarkable. Um, speaking of remarkable, although in a slightly more, uh, or in a much more morose way, uh, when the, the marshal is shot, there's just absolutely fantastic sound design. I mean, yes, it's dramatic and it's shocking that here he isn't dead, but... Boy, for that eight o'clock time slot, they go they go for it all with the sound uh, design of him kind of gurgling and choking and whatnot. And uh, lucky you, we can listen. So I don't like it any more than you do. Something had to be done. Oh no way, guys. Shot him in the chest. Oh, aiming for his heart. You missed. Man, is he still breathing? You perforated his lung. It'll take hours to bleed out. So was... I only had one bullet. Get out. Get out! Just wonderfully juicy and gurgly and, uh, you know, liquid-filled, gaping shot. I, just absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. really sells it. Even towards the end there, you know, where it's just you hear kind of, you know, th- throat crackling. You know, it, it's, just, it's just absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Um, certainly the show isn't letting itself, uh, you know, be held back by this, this 8 o'clock time slot. As you know, it, it would uh, you know during the course of the six seasons. In addition to being on uh, Wednesdays and Thursdays and Tuesdays, it would be on at eight o'clock and nine o'clock, and for that brief time it, uh, that it was on on Thursdays, also ten o'clock. So, whatever. Um, the uh, moving on now to the the final scene, which is the return of Vincent to Walt. Uh, a little bit of a funny story here. The very first time I saw this episode, the last ten seconds or so got cut off. Um, I don't remember what my DVR was switching over to, or if maybe I had set the timer incorrectly, or whatever it might be, but I kind of got this happy ending to the episode. The dog gets back, there's a little music montage, everybody's happy, everybody's, you know, slightly optimistic looking ahead to the future, uh, then absolutely floored and blown away when I saw the rerun, which, uh, 
I don't know when that was, maybe season one on DVD or at some point, you know, during the season when they were doing reruns, to, to tack on the last 10 seconds with this creepy wraparound camera shot looking at Locke, just staring at Walt and Michael. I think the implication is staring at Walt. Um, it just changes what we wonder about this guy. I mean, certainly up to, you know, through these first three episodes, Walt, uh, uh, Locke, the, the older man calling the young boy over, uh, you know, let's play a game, can I tell you a secret, getting his dog back, you know, I think that they were trying to hint at one vibe, um, they were trying to mislead us, certainly, I'm not suggesting it was ever, you know, Locke the molester was ever uh, on their radar, particularly given that, uh, you know, that the actor had a, had a history with J.J. Abrams and had appeared on Lost and whatnot. Uh, had appeared on Alias, rather. But um, they're clearly pulling you in one end. Who is this guy? If nothing else, who is this weird, strange guy? Um, and then, obviously, you know, in future episodes, uh, the next episode, this this shocking uh, notion that, um, that uh, you know, he was in the wheelchair and blah, 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 that we'll talk about uh, next week. Um, but I have to wonder, too, is it too much to see this foreshadowing of Smokey Locke? You know, Locke, uh, the smoke monster in Locke form. Season six, and even part of season five, Locke is the bad guy. We don't know it the whole time, but, you know, the, the person appearing as Locke is the bad guy. You know, and then here we are, really the first time kind of getting a sense of him privately. Yes, he's surrounded by everybody, but it's this private moment that the camera is giving us a... a, a a look into it's a very negative portrayal it's a very threatening portrayal it's a very creepy portrayal um so i don't know i mean again it's one of those things you give the show you defer to the show you assume that the show has uh planned this stuff or that the show kind of critically as a whole can be treated uh in this manner but to me, that's what I see. After six seasons, I look back and I say, they're planting the seed that even though Locke is going to be sympathetic guy in the wheelchair, Locke is going to be He-Man who finds Boar, Locke is going to be Zen Master who says, come with me, there's this hatch, that they're planting the seed and saying, something isn't quite right about this guy. Now let's move on to Lostpedia Says, where I uh, check out Lostpedia after I've watched the episode to uh, pick up on any little dribs and drabs I might have missed. Uh, if you're asking yourself, how could Sawyer miss a guy's heart from a couple feet away? Well, Josh Holloway, who portrays Sawyer, asked Carlton Cuse, the showrunner, that very question. Carlton Cuse noted that the writers thought that this was unlikely as well, and discussed the concept of making Sawyer hyperoptic, which is uh, uh, farsighted, so you can't see near. Uh, and that led to him receiving the new pair of glasses in Deus Ex Machina. So there you go. There's a reason he missed. He couldn't see. And uh, speaking of Deus Ex Machina, Lostpedia also says that this episode is the first of three to have its name derived from a Latin phrase. Uh, the other two being the aforementioned Deus Ex Machina and Ab Eterno. And with that, we will uh, start to wrap up now. Uh, I hope that you join me next week for episode 104, Walkabout, which of course is the seminal John Locke episode. And uh, I hope that you're enjoying these podcasts. I always have fun doing them uh, for you. So uh, feel free to be in touch. You can say hello on Twitter at Looking Back Lost. You can email me at Looking Back at Lost, all one word, all spelled out. 
lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. If you have an iPhone or iPod Touch, I'd love to have you re- uh, record a little voice message and send it my way. Again, you can email it to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can take a peek at the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And last but not least, you can always find us on iTunes, maybe leave a little review. And uh, with that, thank you very much for listening. It is fun as always. See you next week for Walkabout. Bye-bye. Spot on.